When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. So look, I'm recording this the first week of August. And this week uh, we saw some big deaths. Man, Pee Wee Herman, that's crazy. That's, you know, a deep cut from my childhood. So that was, I was painful. The little homie from Euphoria, uh, apparently it's a drug overdose. But I'm a zero in on the death of Sinead O'Connor. Why am I bringing up Sinead O'Connor on a podcast called Hood Politics? Mainly because Chuck D from Public Enemy posted this lovely, um, tribute to her about a moment in time. And following her, you had Ice T. You had Quest Love of the Roots, all these rappers posting about Sinead O'Connor, which should, if you paying attention, be like, huh, here's a crossover I didn't expect. The girl, the the bald head girl from Ireland that was doing all the visuals, standing up in protest against the Pope and all of the, the 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 child molestation charges in the Catholic Church in Ireland. You know, nothing compares, nothing compares to you. I sound just like her, right? One would ask why. Will all these old school rappers be posting these tributes to Sinead O'Connor? Well, if you look at Chuck D's post, there's this moment where she's performing at what turned out to have been the Grammys. And on the side of her head is this painted circle with a bullseye on it. Just right on the side of her head. And the bullseye, though, has a silhouette of a man in what we know as the B-boy stance, which is basically his arms folded, right? And he's got his uh, kind of a cowboy hat on because he's a B-boy. This is like real 80s hip hop type thing. And that logo for anybody or that symbol for anybody who loves hip hop would know that's the public enemy logo. As in 911 is a joke, as in... Uh, fight the power, as in shut them down, as in welcome to the Terror Dome. One of the most politically charged, resistance driven. I mean, you think Killer Mike don't play? Y'all, you 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 need to you need to do your homework. Figure out who Public Enemy is. Chuck D and Flavor Flav. Y'all know Flavor Flav differently. But there was a reason why she had that logo painted on the side of her head. So by the time this historical, iconic photo 
was taking. Rap was a, a multi-million dollar industry. It wasn't always, but at this point, it absolutely was. Rap's been around for, gosh, probably uh, almost 20 years at this time. Full industry. In this photo is people you may or may not know, uh, but I can, I can run it down for you. It's a black and white photo. You got right in the front, young man that you may know of from a reality show called Flavor of Love, but we know him as Flavor Flav, as one of the members of a group called Public Enemy. You have his arm around a woman known as Salt, who was a member of Salt and Pepper. So right behind Flavor is Pep and DJ Spinderella. You got behind them, you got Will Smith, who we knew of as the Fresh Prince. You got Jazzy Jeff. You got in the way far back, Chuck D. You could see the flat tops of Kid and Play. You could see Slick Rick, the ruler. And the photo gets blurry towards the back. But there's two other people in the picture that I might even be too young to be able to just spot by face. I would have to do some research for it. I think it's Stetsasonic, um, Daddy-O. And anyway, I might be wrong, but I think it's them. But the point of this picture was in... 1988, the Grammys were going to, for the first time, give their first ever rap award. And three of the five categories decided to boycott the show. And, you know, of the people that were nominated, this is going back to Cali by, uh, or the songs that were nominated artists going back to Cali by uh, LL Cool J, right? Parents Just Don't Understand from um, Fresh Prince, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Salt and Peppers, Push It, JJ Fads, uh, Supersonic, and Cool Mo D, Wild Wild West. They were nominated for the Grammys. The only problem was the Grammys didn't recognize rap or hip hop as legitimate music. What do I mean by that? We're saying this is a wildly popular genre of music, right? Came out of a culture that they have been fighting for recognition for since 1984. The Grammys had never acknowledged rap as a legitimate music. And now that they were finally doing it, what they said was they wanted Will Smith to write like this cute little rap about the Grammys and then present the next award. But the rap award wasn't even going to be on TV. They weren't even going to telecast it. It was going to be one of the, the pre things. And we're saying these are multi, these are platinum selling artists. With the fast in the fastest growing genre of music, and you're not even gonna put it on TV. And what Will Smith was quoted to say was, dang man, you go to school for 12 years and then denied the right to walk across the stage with your diploma. And what did hip hop do? They said, Who give a fuck about a Grammy anyway? Protested. None of them came. And check this out. In solidarity for this protest, Sinead O'Connor painted. Public Enemy's logo on her head. Is she a real one? You, you find that she cut from the same cloth, right? It's the same energy, and that's why she resonated with all these OGs. You ever wondered why people that are into punk somehow start loving underground hip-hop? It's You're cut from the same cloth because it's always been about a protest. And I think it's important to not only acknowledge this moment just because she passed away, but because this year is hip hop's 50th anniversary. And why I'm bringing it up for hood politics is politics and protest has always been a part of hip hop. You may know it as just like rap and streetwear, but it's always been a protest. It's always been about fighting the power. Happy 50th anniversary. Let's talk about it. Hood politics, y'all. Man, welcome, welcome, welcome. This show might be really educational for y'all or this might just be kind of a break. I know the news cycle has been crazy, but we're going to get to that, you know, especially how it must absolutely feel horrible to be getting your ass kicked, just shellacked in the polls by <laughs> a dude who faced it over 70 years in prison and will probably be out on bail while y'all on the campaign trail and got impeached twice. And you finna lose to this nigga. <laughs> That's got to feel awful. Anyway, 
we'll get to that. But I want to back up and and just kind of like give y'all a little education as to like what's what's really going on as we celebrate hip hop's 50th anniversary. Back to Sinead O'Connor. I told y'all a long time ago, back on the Bastards pod, that like when we was doing the race drafts, like I'm telling you, y'all should have, Irish should have stayed black. Y'all should have just gone been black with us. It's, listen, (laughs) anyway, Sinead O'Connor, man, rest in peace to the G. And a lot of people like read her wrong because you looked at her with her bald head. They thought she was like, you know, skinhead. Like she fighting the power, homie. Down for the cause. The way I want to set up this thing is as as I want to situate your minds and brains into what I mean by like hip hop has always been political. Okay, but the only way for you to understand that is first of all, I need to situate hip hop in the broader history of black music and the tradition of black music and that black music at least in America is inseparable from geopolitics. I'm going to lay out the idea of the commercialization and how commodified and even the complex relationship hip hop has with capitalism. And then I want to teach you how to like see it happening now. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, I ask a question again as if you can answer me. I'm going to assume it makes sense. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts Connect the alarm Change the podcast you stream Connect the snooze Ten more minutes to dream Connect the shower Lather up with the news Sports talk Comedians or movie reviews Connect with that three hour philosophy show Change the drive into work In traffic so slow Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Yo, so look, so since we can't get any clearance for any songs except for my own songs, I'm going to go ahead and throw together a little Spotify playlist to hear some like Harlem Renaissance stuff, some like, you know, Nero spirituals, some soul music, just so you can hear what we trying to say. All right. And I think Matt's kind of doing his best to, I haven't heard this completed thing yet because I'm recording myself right now. I think Matt's kind of doing his best to try to create some some sound from this, but you know. <sighs> Have you guys seen Matt? It's not a diss to Matt. It's just, you know. He, uh, he doesn't come from a seasoned chicken washed legs history. Anyway. Love you, Matt. Yeah. 
So the first thing I want to do is, again, situate you into the river of the tradition of Black music and Black creation. And the best way for me to start that is because I'm talking about a uniquely American experience. Remember that. I'm not talking about our tribal traditions per se, although they influence it, but that's that's more of an origin story pod. This is about jumping into the stream as far as African-American music. And the best place to start is Negro spirituals. Now, if you don't know what a Negro spiritual is, it's gospel before we knew it as gospel. Obviously, at some point, for whatever reason, a lot of African-American slaves latched onto the Christian faith. Now, don't let nobody tell you that we were only Christian because the white man gave it to us, because you don't even get out of the book of Acts. So really after Jesus died, if you follow in the Bible story, after Jesus died and resurrected, I'm just quoting the book, okay? The next book after that is this book of Acts, and it's supposed to be about how the church or the gospel, if you will, spread across the world. And before you even get to Paul, Paul's the dude that writes pretty much the rest of the New Testament because he takes the gospel to Asia Minor, right? Which is, you know, Turkey and just Caesarea, Greece, right? All that stuff. Before you even go there, you have this guy, Philip, who meets an Ethiopian eunuch. He, according to the Bible, worked for the king and queen of Ethiopia. This and in, the, and, in, and in the story, he's reading one of the Jewish scrolls, the book of Isaiah about the promise coming Messiah. And Philip is like, yo, you want to know what that's about? He's like, yeah, I want to know what that's about. Apparently, and on the side of this road, he gets baptized. And according to this, the gospel goes to Ethiopia, goes to Africa first. But this isn't even the first inflection point. You got to go all the way back to King Solomon. Even where we get these ideas of Rastafarianism and Haile Selassie. And so the queen of Sheba meets King Solomon and is totally impressed by his empire. So the point I'm trying to make is the Jewish, Judeo-Christian, not the way these white people talk, because I don't want you to get triggered by these words, but the faith, the Christian faith was African 400 years <laughs> before it was European, right? So don't let nobody tell you. Now, now the white man gentrified it like they always do, right? But out the box, don't hey, look, 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 look. Don't let them tell you. You know what I'm saying? Now, granted, this African version I'm talking about is East African, while most slaves were West African. The point I'm trying to make is don't let nobody tell you that they gave it to us. Now we gave it to them. Anyway, um, and they did what they always do. Columbus didn't gentrify. Anyway, that being said, slaves were given these versions of the Bible, which they made the mistake because at first they gave us the whole Bible. And when they gave us the whole Bible, we read the book of Exodus and <laughs> saw Moses and was able to look at these children of Israel being enslaved and looking as if, and now if you reading the book, you're going to be like, damn, it seemed like this God and this, the central figure in this story is always on the side of the oppressed and not the oppressor. I don't know why these people giving this to us because it sounded to me like they finna get judged according to their own book, right? That's what we saw, right? So we latched on to the Moses theory. We latched on to the promised land. So that's why a lot of liberation theology, why black churches, we don't be, won't be talking about Paul like y'all. We talk about Moses. We talk about a deliverer. God, Jesus is our savior. He's our deliverer. You understand what I'm saying? We finna get out of this bondage cause blood gang banging. Now that being said, we used a lot of our chance because that's the way we already, we already, because again, we're Africans. We already sang collectively and had a lot of call and response in our music, right? In the way that we sang. Now, what Negro spirituals in some cases became were codes. They were codes for the Underground Railroad. They were codes for when we were going to leave, when we was going to get off this thing. They were codes for when the master was coming. They were codes. So because they didn't want slaves to talk, but we could sing. And if we coded it in language they understood that sounded like we just singing worship songs, whereas we was really communicating to each other. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Our music has always been a protest. It's always been political. Y'all got them categories. Our music has always been political because our music has always been about our experience. So Negro spirituals in a lot of in a lot of situations were codes for when we was gonna leave this goddamn plantation. Did you you following me? So I'm gonna situate you in that river. 
we were always talking about our experience. And our experience, unfortunately, in America was never for us to just freely flourish and have joy for ourselves. It was always tied to what we was going through. Because the next thing I'm gonna talk to you about is the blues. Now, why the blues became what it was, was these these spots called juke joints. Now, the juke joints, you have to remember, when we was making our music, every musician came from playing in church, right? But everybody don't want no church music. Sometimes we want to bump and grind. You understand what I'm saying? Then you got people like Ma Rainey, you feel me? That, you know, uh, I'm going to fast forward to like Ray Charles. Like, people didn't like what Ray Charles was doing because he was... He was singing these songs that sounded gospel, but he was singing them in the club because we all came from singing gospel music, right? So anyway, so the blues was played inside of these these little clubs we had. Now, after a while, after you started getting good at these clubs, you started playing what was called the Chitlin Circuit. Now, the Chitlin Circuit is only exists because segregation. We weren't allowed into these white venues. So we was like, okay, I guess it is what it is. You could be a star. You could be a star among what's called the Chitlin. So you wasn't making a lot of money, but you could be a star among those things. If you were going to play this, y'all don't know this. If you was going to play these um, integrated clubs, they weren't really integrated. If Lena Horne, people like Lena Horne, they, you know, these, these, these iconic black artists, you'd have to come into the, to the club via, the kitchen or the, or the, the back door and the room that you were performing to, there was a rope in the middle of the room that had the side with white people and the side with black people. Cause you know, we wasn't supposed to mix. So you could, we could, we could sing to y'all, but we can't dance among you. So obviously that cleared, that colored our experience. And obviously if you were willing to play for these clubs, guess what that did? That made a divide among our black artists where it's like, why are you going to shuck and jive for them white people? Then there was these things called minstrel shows which is where we got the idea of blackface or where the culture gets this idea of blackface. You know what blackface is? It's white people painting their face with these dark black things and pretending to be black people. They would try to sing our songs. They would try to dance like us, but they would put on these shows that were absurd, right? You have characters like Step and Fetch, you know, that we felt like these were black people taking on these offensive personas for their money. That's our art being commercialized. It's been going on for a long time, right? Anyway, so now you take these characters like the, you know, the island boys, like them fools, and in some ways, somebody like a Takashi 6ix9ine. Unfortunately, what like Vanilla Ice came to symbolize to where it's like, these fools are playing dress up. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's almost like you're making fun of us. It's That's kind of what it it comes off as. You know, it feels like, you know, a minstrel show. And then when you get black artists participating in it, it feels even worse. Move forward to the Harlem Renaissance. Now, this is the birth of jazz. Now, this is really interesting to me because this is almost like you can make a direct correlation between jazz and hip hop. Uh, Jazz happened in Harlem. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna situate us in the Harlem Renaissance, right? So in Harlem again, we're still talking about the segregated world that we were in. I know that's up north. You understand what I'm saying? But don't let your little like history not that clean. You know, the Cotton Club was a black club. Harlem used to be all black because even though you may not have had Jim Crow laws, you had Jim Crow practices. Don't act like the North wasn't racist. It was absolutely racist. So anyway, up there, what was happening? The boroughs weren't necessarily connected, necessarily, right? Then a train was built, right? And a train that connected uptown to midtown, a train that connected us to the boroughs. So now families were able to work in the city and kind of go back home. So now that we're able to work in the city and you could go back uptown, now we got a little more money, right? Now some of us, have some liquid, some liquid capital. And these people that have now liquid capital, they need entertainment. So we started having our own club. 
our own dance things, our own our own stuff that wasn't so Southern. You might remember like the Southern, that's that's the blues, that's them juke joints, they hot and sweaty. Up here, you know what I'm saying, you got the Nicholas Brothers, you got, you got, you know, Cab Calloways, you know what I'm saying, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swang, right? And philosophy came out of that. Poets, Langston Hughes and them, you got poetry, music, art, philosophy, all was coming out of this moment that happened because in a lot of ways, we took a situation that we had no control over and we made it beautiful and we made it ourselves. And guess what happened? Powers that be looked in there and was like, damn, that look fun, can we do it? And we was like, well, no, cause you haven't gone through what we gone through. And you know what they created? Swing dancing. Oh yeah, yeah, your little sock hops, your little swing, your little swing dancing stuff. That is just the white version of jazz. That is a commercialized, clean version where the economics of it all took what we made and commodified it and then didn't let us be a part of it until much later. I mean, we could do the same with rock and roll. Y'all have to remember rock and roll was black. Fats Domino, it, you know what I'm saying? And all, all of your Elvis songs, like, you, like, I don't know if y'all saw that weirdo Elvis movie. It was very weird. But the lesson you should pull from that is that Elvis was copying black music. He was a white dude doing black music. And it just, you, they, our stuff has been commodified and gentrified the whole time. Now, it's also complicated because some of us were, us as in the culture, were, were passive participants. Some of us were active participants. And can you blame poor people when they're dangled real money, right? And a real job. Like sometimes you can't, it ain't gonna always be about you know, your fist up. But the fist up person has continued throughout the history of black music, whether it's your Nina Simone's of the world. You have to remember Ray Charles was the first person to own his masters. I'm gonna say that again. Ray Charles was the first person to own his masters. Nobody else owned their masters. Go on Google what that means in, in the music industry. Songs like Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. These are protests. And they, and they only exist because of the politics of the time. Right now, you could put on Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, which was about the Vietnam War in the 60s. You could play it now and be like, damn, I feel like he wrote this mug today. Because even within the industry, even within these successful careers, the, our participation has always been tied to our politics. There's a group called The Last Poets. And Gil Scott Heron, y'all remember a long time ago when I first started this show, I did, a, I did an episode called Whitey's on the Moon. And I read the lyrics of Whitey's on the Moon from Gil Scott Heron and the Last Poets. What he's saying in that was like, y'all got money to build these rockets. Meanwhile, we're starving in the streets. We just got civil rights. Y'all done killed all of our leaders. But you know what, though? Whitey's on the moon. Y'all, you, you, you feeling me? And one of the biggest songs that... Gil Scott has has is the revolution will not be televised. And that was happening during the time of the Black Panthers. So Nina Simone. So all these artists, they're what we choose, why it always resonates and why it stands to test the time is because it was not a product of an industry. The industry was made around what was authentic, but it was always tied to politics. It was always tied to things. Now, let's get to hip hop right after this break. A new house is on your wish list in the next five years. Grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts Connect the alarm Change the podcast you stream Connect the snooze Ten more minutes to dream 
Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. All right, we're back. This is so interesting to me because y'all remember Cracktoberfest in the Iran-Contra scandal, cocaine being flooded into our streets. Do you guys remember us talking about that? That was These were huge, huge geopolitical, cultural, ginormous moments. But they were the goulash that brought us the culture of hip-hop as we know it. And 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 follow me when I say this. But before I get into that, I need to take y'all back to the Warriors movie. Warriors come out and play. Now, what happened in that flick is based on actual things that happened. Hip hop, if you don't know, started in the Bronx, and in the Bronx around this time that this movie takes place is there was this ginormous citywide blackout because. The, the city was just absolutely bankrupt. It was like a shithole. Let's not lie. It was miserable to live in the Bronx. Part of what made it so miserable was the rent got so bad. The buildings were so dilapidated. The money was so drained, right? Because of Nixon. <laughs> because, because of, uh, of y'all, listen, do you remember when I did the economics one, the economics thing about about the uh, the changing of like world revolutions and stuff like that? When Nixon tried to stop inflation, but he did it wrong, you got to go back and do this. What that did was it bankrupt the Bronx. And once the Bronx got bankrupt, if you owned a building, a tenement, a housing project, it would be better for you as the owner. This is where you get the term slumlords. You just didn't fix the building because the rent was paid by Section 8. And- if the city stopped paying Section 8, rather than fix the building, you just destroyed it and you just collected on the insurance. So you had where you get the term rubble kings. It's because there was abandoned buildings and destroyed, dilapidated, broke down, just piles of rubble everywhere in the Bronx. We created beauty somehow. How you create beauty? Oh, we clack, 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 started painting murals, repping your territories. And inside of that rubble, during that time, you got to remember the schools are terrible, ain't no money, ain't no jobs. And if you was a kid, you could either A, start selling some drugs, but sometimes you needed other outlets. And part of our other outlets, part of our protest, these black and brown kids, these black and Puerto Rican kids inside the Bronx, part of their protest was they would just throw parties. Basement parties, park jams. What you would do is you would plug you climb a light pole, plug your sound system into the outside light pole, and you would just throw parties. And people would hang outside of their buildings. You listen to the music, listen to the DJs. And what would the DJs play? They would spin their records. What records would they spin? The records that their parents had. And then one day, somebody thought of the merry-go-round. What is that? Well, because you're trying to dance. And the people that were trying to dance, it would be the beginning of the song. And then the song would start. Somebody decided if I got two of those same song and I kept restarting it to where it looped, he used to call it the merry-go-round, you would create the break. You uh, y'all y'all following me here? 
they discovered you could loop tracks by just playing with their parents' funk records. Now, downtown was disco. Disco was full of cocaine. That's where the rich white folks were. We wasn't welcome down there, right? That's where the industry was. That's not where we were. We was up in the boroughs. So in the boroughs, they discovered, this is how you make loops, and they would throw these parties. There was a man named Cool Hurt. DJ Cool Hurt. And what DJs would have is a guy on the mic just kind of calling the shots. Like, and all the DJ would do, or all the M, and that guy that was calling the shots was the MC, the master of ceremonies. And all he would do is shout out the DJ. Yo, this is Grandmaster Cast, giving you live with DJ Cool Hurt. Bring it up. So that's why all of your original rap groups were a DJ and a rapper. Eric B and Rakim, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Pence. Because Eric B was first because the DJ ruled the world. And the MC was there, you know what I'm saying, just to keep the party live. But you have to remember that happened because of geopolitics. Now this is 1973. Then you get groups like, you get Cowboy, you get groups like the Cold Crush Brothers, you know what I'm saying? You get you get the Furious Five, you get all these, you get you get this, this massive boom that just started in the Bronx of these parties that kids are going to and everybody's, no matter what's happening in the world, we're able to find joy. Then somebody from from Manhattan comes and sees, man, there's a lot of money to be made out here. Like, we don't hear none of this stuff on the radio. How do we get this on the radio? You can't put a party on the radio. Like, that's too much. Nah, we already got DJs. We can't do that. But the dude talking and and the songs that they're producing, oh, we can can put that on the radio. Well, you need to sign a group. And in 1979, Grandmaster Kaz and a group called the Cold Crush Brothers, had these bodyguards, right? <laughs> and these bodyguards found out about this audition for this rap group that this record label was going to start. But you had to go audition, so you had to go be able to show your raps. So one of those brothers asked Grandmaster Kaz to write him a rap. And he was like, all right, I guess I'll write you a rap. And then the dude wrote the rap, performed it for this person and they were able to form a group and do you want to know what that rap sounded like what that rap was that grandmaster kaz wrote i said a hip hop a hippie to the hippity hip hop the lava did don't stop the rocket to the bang dang boogie to up chuck the boogie to the rhythm of the boogity b he wrote rappers delight and those guys that were just bodyguards was sugar hill gang who the rest of the industry believes were the first rap group guys that was six years later Because the industry, economics always steps in. But then you got people like Russell Simmons, right? Who's from the culture, part of the culture, right? And then you got dudes like um, Rick Rubin, right? And the Beastie Boys. They was was from Long Island. They was these like rich Jewish kids who were into punk music. And like I said, punk music has always resonated with hip hop because we got each other. They all kind of connected together. Now, remember, uh, Russell Simmons had a little brother who was came to be known as Reverend Run. So now you got Run DMC, right? And Run DMC out in Queens, right? In Hollis, Queens, there was another young man who was super talented, rough, rugged, and raw. His name was LL Cool J, right? So now we have a chance to start a label, right? But it's a label put together by us. But listen, Run DMC started making money. They had an idea of like, yo, why don't we do this crossover? They was listening to this Aerosmith song, right? Walk this way! And you know what? Steven Tyler and them hated it at first. Then they went to go hang with him. And they was like, actually, this shit is hard. And there's the first crossover rap song. And an industry was born. But that was born out of like real rappers, right? Oh, man, out of that, you get your Queen Latifahs, your money loves, your, oh, just, and then Tribe, and, you know, and, 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 and De La Soul, and the Boom Bip, and the Flower, like, just the Jungle Brothers, just amazing, amazing stuff happened. However, at the same time, guess what happens? The crack attack. Ooh, boy, right? 
So now as you're listening to stuff like check yourself for you wreck yourself, right? You're listening to, you know, um, um, self-destruction. You're listening to we're all in the same gang once it came west, right? Now, once it came west, guess what happened? Fuck the police. Gangster rap happened. Now, why did gangster rap happen? Because of the crack attack. Like, it's all, listen, gangst, it because of crack, listen, it's always tied to politics. We were always telling a story that had to do with what we were going through. Now, at the same time, you have your more polished radio versions, right? Because the industry is always looking for ways to make their money. And who can blame them? Now, I haven't even gotten into the women in hip hop history, right? That matter of fact, the first rap group that was on SNL was with, um, I think it was Shantae. I forget homegirl name, but there's a, on Louder Than a Riot on um, NPR, they have a show about a series on women in hip hop. It's so interesting, right? Because now it's a time that I'm like a little infant and toddler. I'm hearing stuff like, you know, Go See the Vapors with Biz Marquis. I'm hearing stuff like, the JJ Fads, the Roxanne Shantae's, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm hearing that stuff kind of in the background as I'm discovering what it means to be from LA and all this stuff. I'm look, I'm going down to Venice Beach seeing these guys spinning on their head, you know what I'm saying? Because of movies like Breaking and Breaking 2. Now you have a burgeoning business happening because you can make full length movies that are based around the concept of hip hop. You, you you following me? This is the industry happening. And during all of this time, you have people that still come from the tradition of the music that it came from. So you have people like Public Enemy, whose movement was always about destroying the system. Chuck D was all, Chuck D and Welcome to the Terror Dome and 911 is a joke in your town. Get up and get, what he's talking about in 911 is a joke is that like, they don't come to the hood. We've always been talking about our political situation. And even us talking about being flashy and flossing. When you start getting into the South and it was just about like, you know, big Coupe de Ville's and, and, and rolling Lolo's and tipping on faux foes, you have to understand this was also protest. That we are able to make joy from the situations that we're in. I haven't mentioned so far because this is just be too long of a... Of a of a thing, but that what you guys call street art what is what we knew as graffiti and vandalism, which came from again us being like fuck the system. We don't have no art programs, right? We're gonna we're gonna beautify our own hoods, and then you started putting them on t-shirts, right? But that came from us, and and it's not to say that if you're wearing a gra- a graffiti t-shirt or any sort of streetwear that you're somehow uh, selling out. No, it's an evolution of the style. And then at some point, because what made more money, what you can commodify was the rapper. You can't commodify the DJ, right? So that's when the rapper became the forefront. But the basic four elements of hip hop, and some would argue five, sound like old head, is you have breakdancing, DJing with records, MCing, rapping, and graffiti. Right. And then some would say the fifth one is the philosophies, because, again, hip hop's always been political. So now I don't know if you was able to follow that, but I was trying to make a case that like politics has always been about the story of hip hop. And then obviously now this is a global phenomenon. It's it has reigned supreme in almost every element of culture around the world. It's just it's it's so amazing what it's been able to become in 50 years. But now. I want to talk about some of the questions we still have to answer because ultimately hip hop is still pretty young because 50 years for a musical genre, especially compared to something that started in the thirties, like jazz, you know what I'm saying? It's still a pretty young, pretty young genre means that we don't, we have very few elders who are able to age well and, and reach levels of like Bono. And the only one I could think that reached the level of like Bono is Jay-Z, is Hove, where he's gotten to this area of transcendence that I don't think anybody in hip hop has ever, like there's no other, we have one, we have one Bono, it's, it's Hove. And then we don't have no Arnold Schwarzenegger's or Ronald Reagan's who like meaning these artists who became politicians. 
at that level. The closest we have is Killer Mike. And I'm going to say me, <laughs> but really Killer Mike, right? The closest we have. Again, protest has always been a part of, politics has always been a part of hip hop, but for somebody to move into politics the way that Killer Mike has, we've, so we got two examples. And the question has always been, since hip hop's in its inception, what role does white people money play? Are we here to destroy the system, to create our own system, or to take over the system that's already there? But that's not just the question in hip hop. What are we here for? Are we here for Drake to party? Are we here for the Dirks? Are we here to just talk about our experiences where there is a lot of murder and hoes and bitches? Are we here for that? Because we just turning up, we partying. Are we here for the J. Coles of the world to where we trying to be better? We trying to treat our women better. Like sometimes you don't want to be on that revolutionary shit. Sometimes you just want to drink and pop mollies. But then there's this question that are we being responsible? Because the who's footing the bill for all this incredibly derogatory, destructive content in music? It's not so much that you know, we making it because sometimes we are ratchet. But why is that on the radio all the time? Who paying that bill? It's hard to not think that like there might be some sort of conspiracy going on here. That yes, you like pumping our, you know, veins with this really destructive stuff. On the other hand, you have us like really explaining our stories. The question about it is always like, is the answer to white racist capitalism, black capitalism? And there is a quote from Jay-Z where he was like, man, y'all talk about capitalism like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I remember Jay-Z was a drug dealer. Like this, I'll make money. What, how, he was like, you, we can't have freedom if we don't control our dollars. I don't understand what the problem is. And then some critiques on that is like, well, no, you're, the problem is capitalism itself, right? You have people like Immortal Technique who's like, no, it, destroy it all, burn it all down. Like, I don't know. Now, does he disagree with Jay-Z? Well, I don't know a mortal technique to know him well enough. I just know his answer, burn the whole thing down. You have people like Killer Mike that's like, no, you invest in your own. You do, you, you support black businesses. You only buy black. You put your money in black banks and you tell these politicians that I'm only voting for you if you do shit for my community. This is transactional. I don't give a fuck about who you are. Are you doing this for black people? I don't care about nobody. Listen, are you going to raise our community? Then yes, I'm down. If you're not going to raise our community, I don't want to hear shit you got to say. I'm going to vote you out. I will sit down with anybody that's going to advance the black community. That's Killer Mike's answer. Is that the, it's, and what I'm arguing is that's, I mean, they're both a tradition of hip hop. Because you can't separate them from politics. We used to make bars about Donald Trump. Then YZ and Nipsey had a song called Fuck Donald Trump because it's always been about politics. It's always been about fighting the power. The question still remains, do you fight the power from within or without? How can we continue to fight if we keep talking about our women the way we talk about them? Do you stop talking about the streets? You only do the positive shit? I don't know. All I know is I'm just happy hip hop is here because it changed my life. Hood politics, y'all. You know, I don't know why I ain't thought of this before, but, you know, you could use promo code HOOD for 15% off on terraformcoldbrew.com. Like, I forgot I own that company and this is my pod. Y'all go ahead and punch in promo code HOOD if you in the cold brew. Get you some cold brew. Go and get you some coffee. Y'all, like, I can't believe I ain't thinking of this till right now. 
yo, this thing right here was recorded by me, Propaganda, in East Los Boyle Heights, Los Angeles, California. This thing was mixed, edited, mastered, and scored by the one and only Matt Osowski. Y'all, check out this fool's music. I mean, it's incredible. Executive produced by Sophie Lichterman for Cool Zone Media. Man, and thank you for everybody who continue to tap in with us. Make sure you leave reviews and five-star ratings and sharing it with the homies so we could get this thing pushed up in the algorithm and listen i just want to remind you these people is not smarter than you if you understand city living you understand politics we'll see you next week If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.